went to Arizona State. Right. I'm a sun devil, man. State of the Sun Devils with Jeremy Schnell, Jesse Morrison, and Mitch Bereldis, an Arizona sports podcast. Hello and welcome into another edition of State of the Sun Devils alongside Mitch Vereldis and Jesse Morrison. I'm Jeremy Schnell. Well, the early signing period has come and gone, boys. And Jesse, you said you had some initial thoughts on this uh, recruiting class. I wanted to get your your uh, just takes on it. So it's it's good, kind of. It's just kind of a typical Arizona State recruiting class. We haven't seen... That much that's really broken ground here. Um, it's ranked number 52 in the country uh, by 24-7 sports, which is, you know, just kind of seems like what ASU is typically uh, doing. They got a couple four stars. The rest are three stars. Um, the the attacking of the uh, Arizona recruits, a uh, little bit disappointing to me. Uh, nobody inside of the top uh, 15, I believe, um, for Arizona recruits are going to uh, Arizona State. And a couple of them um, are going to Kansas. One of them is going to Iowa. One of them is going to Illinois. So, again, I don't understand how ASU is being out-recruited by a Kansas and Iowa and Illinois in football. Those don't make sense to me. However, however, very excited. Um, again, I mean, th- these guys have verbally committed for a, a good amount of time, but uh, Jaden Fortier from uh, Oregon, the number one Oregon recruit according to 24-7. So to get him over Oregon, Oregon State, that's awesome. Uh Jason Brown as well. We've mentioned him. Uh, he's probably the best recruit in the entire class. Uh, top 300 ESPN 300 guy. So uh, those two are really positive. The rest of the class, eh. I think that the the day and age that we're living in, it's not only about these high school recruits. It's also about the transfer portal. And ASU seems to be doing a pretty decent job in that realm. Mitch, in terms of what Jesse was saying, though, about the in-state recruits, it's going to take time for Kenny Dillingham. Well, uh, and, and I know his whole mantra since he's been here has been activate the Valley, right? I just find it kind of funny that his top recruit comes from the state of Oregon given that Kenny Dillingham spent his time as an OC there for just the one season under Dan Lanning prior to coming here. He built relationships. So the activate the Valley portion of it, to Jesse's point, is, I mean, there's four guys that they were able to bring in within the state that are, in Jesse's mind, I would say, good and good gets straight out of high school. The problem is, is one a of lot of a punter. The the problem is is a lot of the guys that they're bringing in within the state. They need a punter. <laughs> they do. Yeah, the, the punting problems have been rampant. Sorry. But the point being is that they're emphasizing activate the valley and a good chunk of their recruits from within the state of Arizona at least from the high school outlook perspective have not necessarily broken the game or they're not jump off the page names per se is what I'm trying to say. And Jesse, a a point that we've made a lot on this podcast is it doesn't matter what star you are coming out of uh, coming out of high school. If you compete at a high level when you come to college and you, you know, you surprise people, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. And you've made a bunch of points about Utah. Utah has done this for years now. For sure. Yeah. And it's all about the coaching. It's all about the development. It really doesn't matter what star you have next to your name or what you did in high school. Uh, 
if you go and watch the TikToks and the YouTube videos of like, what was this top 10 class? Uh, what did this top 10 class become? And a lot of them either were average college players or uh, were good college players, didn't do anything in the NFL. But like it, Robert Kimdichie, number one recruit out of his state, number one recruit of all time out of his state. He was fine. Fine. Yeah, he was fine. So like that that kind of stuff happens all the time. So it's all about player development. However, when you come in and you are saying you want to bring in these top guys and that they should be staying here, then that's where I'm like, okay, we've got to we've got we still got to see it happen a little bit because again, I'm not a not a guy that's like all oh, recruiting. Uh, I specifically did not want us to become a recruiting podcast. There's enough recruiting sites out there. There's enough recruiting people. Uh, I think that it that it's just there's enough of that discussion. Um, but I just don't think that uh, I, do, I would like to see it just a little bit. Just a, a part of me would like to see it. And Mitch, we talked about the trenches a lot on our previous podcast. And it, I mean, it seems like they brought in some offense alignment, some defense alignment. But I think as the transfer portal moves forward and people after the bowl game start to get into the portal, Kenny Dillingham will attack the trenches a lot more. And you know for a fact that he's looking for a lot of big and physical dudes. And he even made an emphasis on that when he was he was meeting with the media with a little Zoom call earlier this morning. We're taping on a Thursday morning after the early signing day. And you know for a fact that that's an area that it's it's not just Kenny. If if it was only Kenny that was looking for some offensive line help and some defensive line help, they'd be peaches and cream. They'd be bringing in every top prospect, every top recruit that, that's out there. The problem is, is literally every other university is looking for that type of talent. And it is, to use a term like when you think about Major League Baseball free agency, it is scarce when it comes to finding the elite talent in those particular spots. Yeah, and one thing I really liked about Dillingham was really honest in this press conference, hundred percent, which was super cool to see. Uh, he was excited about what they added as far as guard wise. He said they need tackles, uh, so said they're still looking for for tackles um, in the recruiting class. Uh, said he wants to be top two or three in the league. Uh, they were eighth in the Big Twelve. So yes, Big Twelve. This is where they are now. So. You, I mean, look at the same time, the recurring theme. Doesn't matter what star you are, if you bring in the talent and you coach them up to the level that they need to perform at, you're going to be just fine. And the perfect example I think of is Cam Scadaboo last year. You ever you recently looked at Cam Scadaboo's high school recruiting chart? Pretty sure he was a zero star or a one star out of high school. I'm on and it. And look at the dude now, right? Yeah. The all-purpose yeah. king for Arizona State this past year. Yeah, who has eligibility left. <laughs> That's true. Um, now let's look at the transfers that ASU has gotten so far. The big one being Relique Brown. Huge. Three years of eligibility left, six total touchdowns um, in his freshman season. He didn't really play much in his sophomore season. That's why he gets the red shirt. Um, that's, I mean, the biggest get so far in the transfer portal for ASU, Jesse. Yeah, and he was a huge recruit coming out of high school. Um, and he showed that at the Power 5 level in 2022 that he could have success. And for whatever reason, it didn't materialize this season. Um, but last season, 2022, he was a really good true freshman. So, uh I'm expecting big things out of him. 
He can play running back. He can play wide receiver. Um, and they need weapons on the outside. They're losing yeah. some guys on the outside. Don't really know where they're going to put him, though. You know, I, I, I like these hybrid kind of guys in college. They usually do well, the DeAnthony Thomases of the world. Um, so, I mean, uh, DJ Foster. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, I also think back to Rashad White, and he more was, so it's grown at the national level, the way he's used as a pass catcher and the way he. I mean, Eno, too. Defenders miss. Yeah. The, the flexibility that is allowed. And Kenny. Kenny was quoted in his presser this morning that he sees Brown as more of a running back type, but is not afraid to put him out in the slot and give him some space to work with. But I think at the same time, that was probably a big reason as to why Relique Brown is here is because he sees himself as a running back more than he does as a pass catcher and wants to benefit from that opportunity with what has, and we've talked about it in pods past, what has been a very successful running back room here at Arizona State. Uh, and then uh, Zyrus Fisea, uh, uh, excuse me, he's uh, coming from uh, SDSU. He was the team's MVP last year. He's a linebacker. ASU needs to fill some gaps at the linebacker position, and I think he is. Um, that's a big get for ASU. And we talked about Marqueston Douglas last week. Huge get, uh, tight end, filling that gap that um, that Jalen Conyers left. Yeah, um, and this transfer class I'm excited about just because. It's a lot better than the recruiting class. They're eighth in the country in the transfer class, fourth in the Big 12. That is a lot better than the 52nd in the country in recruiting and eighth in the Big 12. So maybe they're just going to have to be a program that's kind of a second opportunity school for kids, um, which is not the worst thing in the world. If they can turn these kids that you know maybe didn't get a fair shake at another school into really good players, then you can build something. And if they're coming pretty early to Arizona State, then they'll still have three, you know, four years of eligibility left. I think generally speaking, too, maybe they're close to shaking this. Maybe it'll be shaken after a year in the Big 12, but there still seems to be like an image or a perception about Arizona State that there's no money to be had. This isn't necessarily a place where you want to come and compete because there's no recent history of success with these two particular sports focusing on football right now, of course. So what's the appeal of going there as opposed to, oh, I could just go to like a Georgia or an Alabama or a Texas or one of these programs that has had that recent history of success. Texas A&M and, and Auburn are just throwing money out there like it's nothing. And they're getting the support because at the same time, they're, most of those programs don't also have to compete with major professional sports, whereas Phoenix is a four sports market. Easy to push college under the rug when you're in that kind of a scenario, whereas some of these other purely college towns have the flexibility to offer. Yeah, up it's those like bills. a religion out there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, when like Auburn and Texas A and M, those are places where college football is is treated to an almost ridiculous amount of seriousness. Now, Texas A and M no longer has their head coach, but it, 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 their Big-time head Doesn't coach matter. that brought It'll in all the money. But oil money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I want, And speaking of like going around the country, I wanted to touch on this number one, number two recruit story. So Jeremiah Smith and Dylan Riola. Uh, let's start with Dylan Riola. He was committed to Georgia and then last minute flipped to Nebraska. Um, there were people that were trying to ask if uh, 
there were people at uh, a certain airport that Dylan Raiola was from asking if they could delay his flight to Nebraska to, so that he would stick with Georgia. This this was a thing that happened. And then um, Jeremiah Smith. So yesterday, he signed a piece of paper on TV, and was it wasn't sent to Ohio State. <laughs> It was just they were just waiting Uh-oh. all day, waiting all day, waiting for him to to send in his paper. And everybody's like, "He's going to Miami. He's flipping to Miami. What's going on? He's flipping to Miami." Finally, he did send in his paper to Ohio State. So he he's going to Ohio State. He has he has signed with Ohio State. But uh. this is the state of college football now. It becomes a bidding war. Yeah. Basically, he's like holding that piece of paper. He's like, "I will send this in if you give me X, probably." This is this is the state of college football. It becomes a bidding war now. And it does feel like there was probably some under the table discussions prior to um, submission of approval, kind of thing. Which I mean, this just sounds like professional sports. That's all that it sounds like to me. Which is I like, think which ho- is what it is. The, it's a professional sport at this point. The Dylan Raiola thing is hilarious. That people were on message boards saying, "Can someone get his flight to be delayed to go yeah. to Nebraska yeah. and then possibly lose his luggage so that he has to go outside in Nebraska without a jacket?" Was, Respectfully, was, was something that was said. Yeah. <laughs> Respectfully, it can't be this big of a deal, right? <laughs> Come on. Also, how good is he? Like. How many schools? How he many high to, schools? Has what he been three to? high schools? Chandler was one four. of them, obviously. Yeah, he was out here for a little bit. Back to Georgia. Didn't go to Georgia. I wonder how much the juice is worth the squeeze. Why are you going to Nebraska situation. over Georgia too? Even if you're getting again, like, it's a bidding war. Yeah, Jesse. but like if Matt the, Rule, hell of a recruiter out there. If the if the bag is bigger in Nebraska, like by a little bit, then the bag is bigger than in Georgia. I would take the slightly less big bag in Georgia because you know. What two losses over the past three seasons? Man, that 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 Jeremiah Smith story is just so weird. He was just like holding the paper hostage until, like, he just had a bidding war. Basically, crazy. Um, Let's move on to basketball now. ASU men's basketball collapsed against TCU on Saturday. They lost seventy nine to fifty nine. This was a game that was totally winnable for ASU, and they just let it get away from them in a. In less than a minute stretch where it felt like they were up by two and then suddenly they were down by double digits. Is there something about the neutral sites that just get to them? And in fairness to the game against TCU, it was it was not a neutral site game. It was played in Fort Worth. TCU is literally just a few miles away from that stadium. But I don't is it weird that they've only won one neutral site game in their non conference schedule? Or is that looking too deep into it? I think they lost this game because they let their emotions get the best of them. I think that's literally what happened. Which is really a bummer, too, because it wasted an awesome Adam Miller debut where he was almost unmissable. I mean, six of nine and 20 points in his debut. That was awesome to see. Yeah. um, They've got a lot of issues. Um, They were art. I mean, yeah, they were up when the technical fouls happened in that game on Saturday. But, like, they were already up double digits and had lost that lead. So... It didn't feel good at the point when the technical fouls happened, and then the technical fouls happened, and that just seemed to just give TCU an extra little oomph, and they just kind of took over the rest of the game, and it was pretty much over from there. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of issues, and I, I will get into them when we talk about yesterday's game, uh, but that game on Saturday, again, was just... 
it, it, it's just what we've seen over and over again. They they get a lead, they can't hang on to that lead. There's emotions. Alonzo Gaffney fouled out on a technical foul. It, it's just and yeah. then proceeded to get benched yesterday. He's had a rough stretch yeah. these it, last couple of weeks. It's just it's just a kind of it feels just like what we see every year. Although in defense of Alonzo, nobody was good yesterday. Yeah, if we want no. to get into that now. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that. They uh, they lost to Northwestern uh, sixty five to forty six. It was they had thirteen points after one half. Yeah, thirteen. It, this was a lot more of a blowout than the score indicates, in my opinion. Well, they played much better in the second half because they had to play press defense. Because again, they scored thirteen points in the first half. Northwestern's leading scorer after the first half had as many points as Arizona State yesterday in a game in Phoenix, no less. Is there a way that ASU can get less contested jump shots, Jesse? Like, is there more ball movement that needs to happen? Is there more screens that need to happen? There are a lot of off-ball screens in this offense, but I don't think there are many on-ball screens, and I think that needs to be possibly talked about uh on ball screens a lot more movement you can you know just i think there's sometimes too much movement and then and then and then after the movement it becomes iso ball okay i I can see where you're saying that but it's it the shot selection is just yeah my my problem is is that maybe that the players are given too much freedom in this offense and it's like Okay, you can drive in and take a layup that's got three people uh, on them. And that's just, uh, it's just not good basketball. And then they'll take contested jump shots to falling away. Um, it, it's just overall bad. And we, we see it every single season. It's like it doesn't ever change it's the same offense every year and it doesn't get better and i don't understand why like the coaching staff can't notice what everyone else is noticing about the offense or maybe they do and the players just aren't listening so there's one there's one of two options here because it's just it just seems like the players have a mind of their own and they want to do what they want to do on offense and they go up for these contested jump shots, contested layups. Yeah, more more on the ball screens would be great. More more cutting, more you know, pick and roll instead of pick and pop. It it's there's just a, a lot that could happen. That goes a little bit to what Frankie Collins said yesterday, Mitch, when he was mentally ta- soft. He said mentally soft, but also before that, he said this isn't on the coaches. They gave us a game plan and we're not executing. It was funny because Hurley had his. I don't. I can't recall if it was an opening statement or just the first question he was responding to, but I was watching Frankie as Hurley was emphasizing that I didn't coach them up well enough. Frankie's like shaking his head, not vigorously, but shaking his head noticeably enough that Frankie felt awful about the way that they performed. And as one of the team captains, made it clear that no, the coaches got it ready. Coaches got us ready to go. But I almost wonder if the coaches got them ready to go. Because going back to the main root of issue with this team, Bobby Hurley has admitted to letting the offense kind of play free. So am I to understand that there's no structure to an offense that only scored 13 points in the first half? Now, I will defend them because there were plenty of good open looks that they had, especially outside outside range, that just they, they didn't go in. 
they had a great look, like wide open in the corner. Yes, and, and it just I will, did not go I, in. I will say in the second half, and maybe it's because they you know got some steals and and forced the issue against North the Western. aggressive defense. Yes, I, they got some more open shots in the second half. They just didn't fall. Which happens, right? You, you've got to work on that, right? Though. No, but you've got to make sure that they fall. You've right. got to have players that can make shots. Like this is the key to having a good basketball team. You can't just be like, okay, they missed because players miss. No, if you're going to be a good basketball team, you're going to have to have players that make shots, and yes. it's, uh, consistently they don't make shots. But and I was again, really hoping for Adam Miller to be that guy, yeah. and then he went one for nine yesterday. Yeah, but I mean, thirty-four percent field goal percentage shooter last year at Auburn, so. Not the savior. Again, here's here's what I'll say, though. If they consistently get open shots in the first half and the second half, some of those shots are going to fall. Um. So, yeah, ASU men's basketball, they got a lot to work on. Uh, they're moving on to the next game when they play on... It's time for conference play. Yeah. So, so the Sun Devils, they start Pac-12 play at Stanford on... December 29th, so they got that Christmas break, and then at California on New Year's Eve. Women's basketball, they uh, they got killed by U of A. Allowed 65% shooting from three, Jesse. Yeah. Uh, 91 to 52. It was close early on, but then U of A just opened up the doors, and it didn't really seem like ASU adjusted very much in this game. Um, just kind of let shooters... I was listening to the game, didn't get to watch it, uh, but it just didn't seem like uh, they were adjusting from what I was hearing on the radio broadcast uh, to those open shooters. They were continuing to double team instead of just putting one-on-one matchups so that players wouldn't get wide open. Uh, so you've, you've got to make those adjustments as the game goes on. Um, not a good performance at all. On Sunday, they did bounce back against yeah, Fresno State. But again, this is what I want to see from... Arizona State women's basketball under Natasha Adair is a big win. They have yet to get a big win in the two in the one plus season that she's been here. Uh, they've had one conference win. Um, I think that's the only win that they've had against. Uh, I could be wrong, but I think that's the only win that they've had against a Power Six. I say Power Six because that includes the Big East, uh, a Power Six team since. Uh, She's been here, so um, yeah, they they've got to turn things around as well because yeah, they they look good against the Fresno States of the world, but you're not you're not gonna have a real you know tournament contender beating up on Fresno State and teams like that. They won eighty to seventy six yesterday against Fresno State. I was there. Jalen Brown was spectacular. She had 20 points, uh, seven rebounds, two steals. Um, and then also, shout out Triana uh, Crisp, who in the first half was diving for a loose ball, collided with a Fresno State defender, um, was uh, helped off the court, uh, was sitting on the bench for the rest of the first half, came out, started the second half, played the rest of the game. Fantastic. You love to see it. Uh, Coach Adair talked about her toughness after the game, and she said, you know, the team really needed that, and it was a boost for, uh, for morale for the team. So awesome to see that for uh, ASU women's basketball to get back on track after two straight losses. And Jaden Simmons, a thousand career points. Yes. Congratulations to Jaden Simmons for a thousand career points. ASU hockey, they swept Robert Morris over the weekend. They're four 
they they, they, they outscored won, them twelve to four. Yeah, they won the four weekend. to one and eight to three. So great job. That place looked like Oceanside, Jesse. Yeah, that place sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we should be so grateful that we have the great Mullet Arena for this hockey team. So they're uh, they're off this weekend. Then they head head to Lake Placid. Is this outside. <laughs> Do you remember the NHL when they did that? And they had to move the game to the night because it's too sunny. So this is the uh, this is a winter invitation on the 29th and 30th. Is this uh, where sorry that was that was a, that was uh, different. That was on the West Coast. The, you were bad. dissing the Lake Tahoe game. That yeah. was a Lake Tahoe which game, which involved my Avalanche, and I was devastated when they had to literally just cancel the game. I thought they five moved minutes it to the night. I yeah, but even so, the ice, the fact that it was melting during the day. Who's who's planning these outdoor games? Come on. I'm not a big fan of the outdoor games. I think they've lost their luster. I think at Fenway, it's cool. Anyway. I don't know about anywhere else. Anyway, uh, Winter Invitational. Is this played where the uh, 1980 Olympics was? Maybe. Lake Placid? Let's ask uh, ASU alum Al Michaels. Okay. Al? <laughs> Never mind. He's not here. Do you? Do you he's, he's getting ready to call a Thursday night game, which he will be very enthusiastic at about le- tonight. At least he's in his hometown of L.A., so <laughs> he's got that going for him. Poor Al got taken off NBC uh, playoff uh, calls. Uh, that's going to do it for this edition of State of the Sun Devils. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and um, Threads? Threads. Which we, we might that? actually have to use after what happened yesterday. Yeah, is Twitter working today? <laughs> Twitter's good today, okay. but... Anyway, Elon, uh, be guy. aware. All be of aware. our handles on those social media sites are the same. It's at AZ Sports Devils. We make it easy for you. You can find everything that we write on ArizonaSports.com, and wherever you get your podcast as well, you can find us there. Should we get a blue sky? blue sky no can we not expand <laughs> our social presence How i already have to post all the time on all these different places all right thanks everyone so much for listening and we will talk to you soon